Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This week on WealthTrack, an exclusive interview with great value investor Joel Greenblatt on the benefits of combining passive with active strategies. He's next on Consuelo Mack WealthTrack. New York Life, along with Mainstay's family of mutual funds, offers investment and retirement solutions so you can help your clients keep good going. Additional funding provided by Thornburg Investment Management, Active Management, Flexible Perspective. Ku and Patricia Ewan through the Ewan Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences. Rosalind P. Walter and the Fairholme Foundation. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. One of the biggest challenges investors face is protecting themselves from their emotions. Our natural instincts are to jump in when the market waters are fine and run for cover when conditions get rough. That very natural tendency has kept humans alive for millennia, but it has destroyed many a nest egg since investing began. How to overcome that very natural human behavior has led this week's guest to substantially change his investment style for his shareholders over the years and go from a very focused and aggressive hedge fund approach to a combination of passive and active. He is Joel Greenblatt, a great value investor, financial thought leader, and author of several best-selling investment books, including The Little Book That Still Beats the Market, which is considered one of the classics of finance. He is Managing Principal and Co-Chief Investment Officer of Gotham Asset Management, which he co-founded in 2009, and where he co-manages hedge funds and several mutual funds using long-short strategies. Before that, he co-managed an extremely concentrated hedge fund at Gotham Capital with 34% annualized returns over 10 years. In 2015, he co-founded the Gotham Index Plus Fund, which combines index investing tied to the S&P 500 with actively managed long-short strategies. The fund owns, goes long, the S&P stocks, trading at the biggest discount to their value, and sells short the companies trading at the greatest premium. The fund recently received a five-star rating from Morningstar. It has beaten the S&P 500 by an impressive margin since inception, putting it at the top of its sizable large blend category. I asked Greenblatt to explain the fund's outperformance. Well, the idea behind Index Plus to begin with was really something that tracked the index uh, more closely than normal active funds, but still had an active component where you had an opportunity to beat the market. And the idea behind putting Index Plus together in the first place was, and I wrote an essay about this, uh, about the fund, I said the strategy that's best for you is not only one that makes sense, but one you can stick with. So for most active investors, to beat the market, you have to do something different than the market. Your returns are going to zig and zag wildly differently. So I wrote a book I always, uh, in 2011 called The Big Secret, and I always say it's still a big secret because <laughs> no one bought that book. 
But, they bought all your other books. Yeah, they bought but all my other books. They just didn't books. buy that okay. one, right? Uh, but it talked about the best performing fund uh, from 2000 to 2010 was up 18% a year. The market was flat during that 10 years, so beating it by 18% a year is pretty good. But the average investor in the fund managed to lose 11% a year on a dollar weighted basis. And what that means is how they did that uh, is pretty straightforward. It happens pretty much with every fund. When the market goes up, people pile in. When the market goes down, people pile out. When the fund outperforms, they pile in. When the fund underperforms, they pile out. So and buying high, selling low. Every, right. every, time. every time. And so even the winning fund, even if you find the winning fund at the beginning, it's very hard to stay with it. Uh, you know, the other statistic I put in there was uh, if you looked at the institutional managers for that same decade, 2000 to 2010, the ones who ended up in the top quartile, the ones who ended up with the best 10-year record, half of them, about 47 percent, spent at least three of those 10 years in the bottom decile, the bottom 10 percent of performers, yet they ended up with the best 10-year record. But you can imagine how many people actually stayed with them through right. those tough years. Very few. So it's... You know, a minority of managers, active managers, can actually beat the market. You have to find them and then stay with them. And that's an incredibly tough challenge, which ends up uh, not being productive uh, for most people who are right. trying to beat indexes. So my partner, Rob Goldstein, and I took a look at this, and we said, how can we add some of our active stock picking, which we think we're good at, uh, to the index, So, but minimize... Uh, uh, some of the tracking mm -hmm. error, the, the, some of the down periods, so that you can stay with it and collect the active premium. So we came up with Gotham Index Plus. And what that really is, is you give us a dollar, we go out and we create the S&P 500, bottoms up, all the individual stocks in the S&P 500 and the weights of the S&P 500. That's pretty easy to do, so we don't think of ourselves as charging for this part of the portfolio. Right. But then we go out and buy 90 cents more of our favorite S&P stocks, and we short 90 cents of our least favorite. So in addition to the dollar we have in the S&P, we have a 90 long by 90 short overlay that takes advantage of our favorite stocks, how much our favorite stocks beat our least favorite stocks by, and we add that to the index. We've mitigated some of the volatility that that might entail by matching that 90-90 more closely. Therefore, being short, being short anything in, in a market like we've had for the last three years, that was a drag on the performance. Uh, well, we still were able to add performance yes. because as long as our longs can outperform our shorts, we can add, but not as much as we would expect in a normal market, a, a market where it's only up instead of 15 to 20% a year, 9 or 10% that we've come uh, expecting, and I would say from these valuation levels, we are uh, expensive historically, and I would expect subnormal returns going forward. What happens in down markets? So you want some protection when the market goes down. So the 90 long, 90 short overlay acts like that protection, hopefully, because we're short hope stocks. The stocks we're short are trading at 50 or 100 times pre-tax free cash flows. That's very expensive. A lot of hope is built into those stocks. When market falls, people get less hopeful. They generally take those kind of stocks out and shoot them. So we should exactly. make a lot of money on our shorts. And yeah. on the long side, we should tend to hold up better because we're buying stocks that are gushing lots of cash. People think the next year or two, we're buying them out of favor. So people think the next year or two might not be quite as good. So everything we buy, we buy in with low expectations built in. When the low expectations come in, we didn't pay for high expectations, so our longs tend to hold up better. Our shorts are getting killed. That should add a lot of protection to the S&P portion of the portfolio. Just give me a couple of examples of stocks that you're shorting and, and which stocks that you're going, that you're long. 
Sure. So, uh, you know, we've liked it for a number of years, but uh, Apple is uh, still our biggest holding. Mm -hmm. uh, long holding. Uh, uh, long holding. Right. Uh, and the reason for well, that is? Well, why are we, we're getting at a big discount to the S&P 500, mm -hmm. and it, it's a pretty good company, but there's a, a dispute on Wall Street. What is Apple? Is it a hardware company? Uh, we all had Blackberries. Is it going to crash and burn like all hardware companies eventually do? Right. Or, on the other hand, the bull case would be, no, 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 it's an ecosystem, ecosystem. of products that play off one another. It's also a brand name. Uh, and so the answer is probably gray. And the answer is probably we don't actually know. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is what we know. We know that Apple gushes cash. It earns huge returns on capital. It has a very nice market niche. And we don't own just Apple. We own hundreds of stocks. We own a bucket of apples, I always say, mm -hmm. a bucket of companies that have similar uh, characteristics. Mm -hmm. You know, gushing cash, we're getting them cheap. They deploy their capital well. They have a nice market niche that enables them to earn the money they're earning. And so that's a very comfortable bucket. So Apple doesn't have to work out, but our bucket right. of apples hopefully will. On the short side, we're, we're short a bunch of companies that uh, are very expensive now with high hopes built in. Uh, Activision is one. It's, it's got a lot of video games that are hot right now. Mm -hmm. But, you know, by nature, that's a hit business. Everything is going on all cylinders, yet that's trading at 40 times uh, earnings of things that are going very, very well. So that really has to continue to justify that price. Uh, we're, we would be short Salesforce, which is a very good company, but they've been growing their sales for years and they haven't been growing their earnings. And which you have been short for a couple of years, right? Yes. Yeah. So uh, basically, you know, there's a, so we're short a lot of companies that are either eating through cash or earning very small amounts of money relative to what people are paying uh, for them. And we own a bucket of those as well. Right. So we don't have to be right on every single one. It's just that buying expensive things uh, with a lot of hope built in and buying cheap things that uh, deploy their capital well, that's usually a very uh, good strategy. You know, Damon Runyon had a line that said, you know, the race is not always to the swift nor the battle to the strong, but that's the way to bet. <laughs> and that's what we're doing. So, yeah. I mean, you have a phenomenal track record as a hedge fund manager, and you know you're you're running other mutual funds as well. And I think your absolute return fund, which is a long short fund, uh, has in the last you know comparing it to the S and P and comparing it to obviously the index plus fund, um, it's underperformed. So it's underperformed the S and P for the last five years and three years and I think one year period. Uh, why? What, why? Why is the, the long-short strategy not working as well as the index plus strategy? Sure. Well, you know, if you put it in its right category, it's only 60% long. So when the market's going up, it's not going to go up as much as the market. Right. Uh, you are buying protection. It's sort of like saying, hey, I put half my money into the stock market and half into a bank. And I didn't make as much as putting it all into the stock market. So it's really not a fair comparison. When you compare to other funds in our category, uh, we beat 85% of the other funds in our category during that same period. So, right. uh, you know, it's done well relative to its target, which is to protect you in down markets and participate in up markets, but not fully. 
Uh, so it's that combination. It's more of an alternative. It's more like a hedge fund. Right. So uh, I think the best analogy would be if you choose to put half your money into the, the S&P and half into a bank account earning 1%, and then the market goes up and you didn't outperform the S&P as if you put 100% in, that's not really the right benchmark that you would use. Okay. It's, it's uh, really you have to adjust for the risk that you're taking, how much exposure you took to the market, and then look at it from that standpoint. So, so how much protection do we need in our portfolios? I mean, what you know, in a long short fund, a hedge fund, whatever. Uh, as far as your overall portfolio, right? So uh, that's an interesting question, uh, and it can't be answered uh, as a general answer because everyone has a different risk, right? Uh, so uh, tolerance. So, for instance. If you were 100% had all your money in the stock market and the market fell 40%, could you handle it or could you not handle it? If you could handle it and have a long-term perspective on it, you would be a candidate to have most of your money uh, directly invested in the market being 100% long because you will be able to uh, uh, withstand most of the down periods so that you collect the long-term premium that you get for investing in the stock market. If you're going to freak out when it's down 40% and you could only handle and you could only sleep, really, it's you, you sort of mm-hmm. invest at the level that you can sleep well, uh, let's say 25% would be about the most you could handle, then maybe you should be about 60% long the market, mm-hmm. you know, because if the market falls 40, you still be able to handle that. And then the question is, well, what can you do with the rest of your portfolio? You're only 60% long the market. What, what other things can you do? Usually people put it into bonds, but of course interest rates are quite low. Right. If they rise at all, those bonds aren't going to do very well. So that's not a great alternative. Or cash. Well, Some right. people put it in cash, whatever. Right. So, so long short funds uh, in particular or, or certain types of hedge funds that uh, go long and short, mm-hmm. well, they provide some return whether or not the market goes up or down. The varying amounts. So if there's things called neutral funds where you don't have any market exposure, you just buy something, sell the same amount, Mm -hmm. and then usually that'll be completely uncorrelated with the market. It might give you return that zigs and zags quite differently than the market, and that's what bonds are supposed to do. Bonds aren't that attractive now, so that could that could hold a place. So it's a very, the answer to your question is very individual. Mm-hmm. And most people, I think, have to be either have an advisor mm-hmm. or be fairly sophisticated to invest in hedge funds. Right. As a value investor, uh, do you, I'm just, you know, thinking about value investing is really difficult because, and you've, you know, said this uh, many times as well. I mean, it's hard work. It it's, you know, means that you're usually going, you know, contrary to what conventional thinking is, that you're buying things that other people do not think are as valuable as you do. So it's it's a it's a it's a difficult uh, profession. Uh, you know, has in the forty years that you've been investing, it, is it getting more difficult? Is there is there, you know, is it still worth the effort? I mean, you've just you know you've got this index plus fund, and so where you you kind of it looks like from an outsider, you've kind of caved. You said, oh. Passive, I gotta, I gotta do, you know, I've, I've got to do some component of passive. I'm just not going to do the really the focused active that I've done in the past. In number you one, know? we've beaten all the other active managers, so we haven't thrown in the towel. No, right. Okay. Uh, two, but you're doing it in a yeah, different way. I'm, I mean, I'm doing it in a different way really are, that yeah. may be more conducive for people to capture the re- active right. returns that we're getting. So I'm actually looking at. Uh, 
I'm actually looking at human nature right. and trying to work with it because if our job and, and one of our goals is to make as much money as we can for our investors, right. but our returns are so wildly different than the index that people can't stay with us, what I am saying is that at the end of the day, I have investors at the end of this stream of earnings that I'm trying to create by investing well. And I want as many people to stay on the ride with us mm -hmm. as possible. Mm -hmm. And I get the same question you ask every year in my class at Columbia. I've been teaching there mm -hmm. 22 right. years. Value investing. Right. And at least for the last five or six years, uh, someone in my class raises their hand during the semester and says, you know, Professor Greenblatt, thanks so much uh, for teaching us all this. But uh, and congratulations on a great 35 year career or 37 year career, whatever it is, but you know, isn't the party over for us? Mm -hmm. You know, there's more hedge funds, there's more smart people, there's more data, there's more right. computers, right. more or more ability to crunch numbers, and uh, we know how well passives done versus active managers. Not that many can win. Uh, you know, kind of isn't the party over for us. So my students are second year MBAs. Their average age is about 27. So I tell them, hey, why don't we head back to when you, you know, let's go backwards. Uh, and go back to when you guys learned how to read. And let's take a look at the most followed market in the world. That would be the United States. Let's look at the most followed stocks within the most followed market in the world. Those would be the S&P 500 stocks. And let's take a look at what's happened just since you guys learned how to read 20 years ago. So they tell, I tell them from 1997 to 2000, the S&P 500 doubled. From 2000 to 2002, it halved. From 2002 to 2007, it doubled. From 2007 to 2009, it halved. And from 2009 to today, it's roughly tripled, which is my way of telling them that people are still crazy and very emotional. And it's a way understating the case. Yeah. The S&P 500 is an average of 500 stocks. If you lift up the covers and look at the dispersion going on at the individual stocks within that average, uh, the ride is much, you know, between which stocks are in favor at any particular time and which stocks are out of favor, the ride is much more wild than that doubling and having, doubling and having. This, that's an average of 500 stocks. When you look under the covers and look at the individual action of the stocks, there's many more opportunities. So what I tell them is, Ben Graham said, imagine that this horizontal line is fair value. And this wavy line around that horizontal line mm -hmm. are stock prices. And if you have a disciplined strategy to value companies and buy more than your fair share when they're below that line, right. and if you're so inclined to sell more than your fair share when they're above the line, the market is throwing us pitches all the time. The, the, this is a wild ride. Uh, the reason managers, most managers don't win is due to agency problems, due to behavioral problems. There's a whole bunch of reasons why they don't, but it doesn't right. have to do with the fact that the market's not throwing us opportunities. So we're, we try to be as cold and calculating as we can in valuing businesses and taking advantage of the crazy, as Ben Graham would say, Mr. Market, mm -hmm. who's very emotional. And the market's throwing us pitches all the time. Uh, I am not worried at all. In fact, time horizons are shrinking. You can check yes. the stock price 30 times a second. So if you are patient uh, and have a longer term horizon, even two or three years nowadays is a long horizon. It should be longer, but even two or three years, you have a big edge. And what's your home base? Your home base is valuation. That's what stocks are. They're not pieces of paper that bounce around. They are ownership shares of businesses that we value and try to buy at a discount. If we're good at that and disciplined at that and stick to that discipline, the market is giving us pitches all over the place. I'm not saying it's not hard to do mm -hmm. given all the pressures that managers have and individuals have and the emotions that are involved. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I'm saying that the market hasn't changed, people haven't changed, the opportunity set is still there. Great answer in your class, really is, except the career risk aspect of it. I mean, who can afford except for you to really to withstand the kinds of, you know, the human behavior where, you know, they'll flee if you underperform for three years. I mean, isn't that, hasn't that gotten worse in this short-termism? Hasn't it gotten tougher to really, uh, to be in a position where you can actually invest the you way know, so is, you're so talking about? That's a great question, but as a contrarian, it's music to my ears, meaning mm-hmm. you're telling me it's hard for other people to do, mm-hmm. which will make the opportunity stay forever because it's yeah. very hard to do. But if you have... Uh, if you know True North, if you have home base, which is stocks or ownership shares of businesses, and you're good at valuing them, and you can stick to it, you can beat the market yeah. over time, and you're patient. The fact that there are fewer publicly traded companies in the universe these days, and that more companies are either choosing to you know, stay private or, you know, or go, go private, how much of a concern is that for you as far as what your opportunity set is? I'm not as worried. There's still about, uh, well, the, the Wilshire 5000 has about 3,500 uh, companies. Right. <laughs> so they don't have enough public companies to, to really put in there to get to the 5,000. And it used to be well over 10,000. And I think uh, I'm not worried about our uh, profession mm-hmm. as much as I am about the country. This is, uh, this is really a great market for entrepreneurs to raise money. And it's mm-hmm. kind of closed down. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of all the regulations of being a public company, where I sit on a small company, uh, public company board, and their expenses to be public are two to three million dollars a year. So that means if you have ten million in earnings, I'm not talking about sales. I'm talking about earnings. earnings yeah. That's twenty or thirty percent of your earnings. So you can't afford to comply with all these regulatory mm-hmm. requirements and, and everything that's needed to be public. And it makes no sense for you to be public. And that's disastrous for. Uh, raising capital mm-hmm. for businesses that create jobs. Uh, it's it's um, a really bad thing. I don't think we need uh, the protections. A lot of things that happened with Enron and all those companies mm-hmm. that were basically frauds, there was a law against being a fraud. I mean, sure. and uh, you don't need four million other regulations to avoid the next one. Dishonest people will continue to be dishonest. Hopefully, it'll be a small handful, but to destroy the entire public market mm-hmm. uh, and ability to, for companies to raise money uh, to prevent one or two frauds that will happen anyway right. uh, seems to me terrible. And so I'm more concerned about uh, the effects on the economy than I am on the money management business. Okay. And, uh, and more concerned about the effects on the economy, but also what about the, the effects on investors? I mean, I'm concerned about that, the fact that there are fewer companies coming public and there are fewer companies, public companies to invest in. And therefore, I'm saying, well, my opportunity set as an investor is really shrinking. Is, is that a concern as well? Well, there's two. There, there is a, a vibrant private equity market. Right. Uh, but it is closed yeah. to most individual investors, so that's unfair. Right. Second, the types of companies that are being financed are very limited. There's only a certain type that private equity investors will like. They're tech-related most of the time, and uh, most of the trading in private equity, a majority of it, from the data I saw, uh, it, they trade it with each other. They just you know, mm-hmm. uh, take a company private and then sell it to another private equity firm, and they trade with each other is, right. is where all the transactions are taking place. So they're not really financing that many new companies. But the regular entrepreneur who's trying to grow his business uh, doesn't have access to 
the public markets. He doesn't have access to most of these private equity and, and venture capital investors because he might not be in the right business. Right. Uh, individual investors don't have access to invest in any of these newer companies uh, that might be great opportunities for them. Uh, and then jobs aren't created because uh, these companies don't have access to financing because the regulation on small banks has been so big. You can't even get loans. You mm-hmm. can't get public equity. You can't, you're, you're not qualified for venture capital. So for job creation and new business creation, there's, you know, there's new business formation is way down. And all these things that have made this company, a country great uh, are sort of being strangled. And, you know, public equity markets just part of it. One investment for long-term diversified portfolio that we should all own some of in a portfolio, what would it be? Uh, some of the uh, VTV, which is the Vanguard Value ETF, uh, it, it gives a value tilt, meaning the cheaper stocks uh, within the large cap indexes. Uh, it's an ETF form, which is uh, cheap. It's put out by Vanguard and uh, very inexpensive fees. And so it's a long-term hold for a portion of your portfolio. Joel Greenblatt, thank you so much for joining us on WealthTrack. My pleasure. At the close of every WealthTrack, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week, we are sharing two simple intertwined principles of Joel Greenblatt's considerable wisdom on successful long-term investing. This week's action point is choose an investment strategy that makes sense for you and one that you can also stick with. As Greenblatt says, this basic strategy is much harder to follow than it seems, which is why it is so important to figure out what investment approach you can stay with through good markets and bad. That means choosing managers who will follow that approach consistently or finding passive strategies that will enable you to stay invested at comfortable levels. As Greenblatt says, it's easier said than done, which is why he created the Gotham Index Plus Fund, which combines a passive index approach with active strategies around it. Well, next week, two specialists in protecting portfolios in down markets will join us. Randy Swan shares his defined risk strategy, and John Hathaway discusses the benefits of gold. This week, in the exclusive extra feature on our website, we will ask Joel Greenblatt about his next big philanthropic project, creating job growth and reducing inequality in the U.S., For those of you active on social media, please share your thoughts with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for watching. Have a lovely weekend and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.